Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty great. Yeah, cannot complain. Pretty great. How about you? What's so great? Uh, what's great? So, uh, Chris, uh, one of our team members who lives in New York, is actually in London uh, as of uh, Saturday. And so we've been hanging out physically in person and working together and stuff, which is really nice. Um, and so I was in London for the past few days, came to St. Albans for the night. Probably going to go back to London tomorrow morning, do some more physical working with the team. Uh, so that's quite a novel experience. So is it you, Chris and Lucas, who are physically working together? That's right. Yeah. But yeah, we wanted to get more of the team over, but due to travel difficulties, um, this was the most we could manage for now. But I think probably September, October, we will do another thing with hopefully more people. Nice. How, how, how have the vibes been in person? The vibes have been good. I feel like for me, it wasn't that different. Like I, f I feel like I already, you know, I feel like I felt like we already kind of knew each other and it wasn't that different being in person versus being on like Zoom or whatever, hmm. um, which I thought was interesting. But I do, it's definitely like more fun in person. Like there's just more opportunities for like banter, for like inside jokes, running hmm. jokes, this kind of stuff. Um, Whereas I think on, it's, it's just like harder on, in like even with our virtual office thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's just like more fun basically. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a similar, similar experience. So last week we had a celebration dinner for the um, wrap up of the third cohort of the Part-Time YouTuber Academy. And nice. so we had around 12 people who were all involved in the course in various aspects, all coming to London to a restaurant to hang out. Um, and so like, for example, my assistant Dan came all the way over from Wales. And so this was my second time seeing him in real life. And we have Bob who came over from Northampton and everyone in London kind of congregated. And there was something really nice about seeing people IRL. Um, and what we've been finding is that anytime like Bob comes to Cambridge or Elizabeth comes to Cambridge and works with me and Angus at local WeWork, um, I don't know, the, the, the vibes are just much better and it is just more fun. And so this last week or so, we've been doing a cheeky restructuring of the organization and figuring out all the people we need to hire. And there's like somewhere between eight and 10 roles that we need to hire for over the next like two or three months. And I kind of decided that I want all of them to be in person rather than remote. Whoa. So we're advertising all of these to be in London and we're looking to get an office in central London, like a physical office yeah. with like a YouTube studio space and like desks for everyone and that kind of thing. And so if everything goes according to plan by like November, we should have 12 people working from an office in London Amazing. With like eight or so working remotely beyond that, um, which is going to be more expensive, but it is just more fun hanging out in person. So yeah, hundred percent. It'll be worth it. The thing that the reason, so we, we thought about, you know, how much we want to be remote and we ultimately decided to be kind of, you know, remote first, just because of like wider access to talent, like mm. just don't want to be limited to only being able to hire people basically in London. How did you think about that? Yeah, I think the, there's obviously that, that, drawback whereby the more local you are the more limited you are in the talent pool yeah i think for in our in our line of business it's not really about like how talented someone is um like you know we're looking to hire a videographer we're looking to hire maybe an editor a motion graphics person an admin assistant like two marketing managers 
these aren't like, you know, top 0.01% software engineer who needs to understand Excel and spreadsheets and mm -hmm. stats. And, and st it's like fairly generic kind of jobs okay. where I think it's more important that I think there is more value to be had in in-person collaboration. Okay. And there's more magic that comes from that than from hiring someone in the US or in, yeah. I don't know, Southern Africa, who is like super, super talented at the thing that they're doing. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. And to be honest, like at our scale, when we put out a job advert to where it's like remote first, we will get yeah. somewhere between yeah. <laughs> 500 and 5,000 people applying to the job. Yeah. And it's, it, it is a non-trivial <laughs> task to go through that many applications. Right. So actually in a way, limiting it to only London mm. or in and around London makes yeah. the applications much more manageable. Yeah. Um, and so we put out a job application for a full-time videographer to literally follow me around and make vlogs of my life. <laughs> um, and oh, yeah. 20 people have applied of which like six or seven are actually really, really solid. So yeah, it's, it's exciting. That's cool. And so you're moving to London soon. Moving to London, yeah. So j just literally booked the Airbnb today for, for yeah. a six-week period from the middle of August through to the end of September. And then while I'm there, the plan is to scout out office locations and see what living in Islington in particular is like and to see what other areas in London I want to live in. Yeah. Um, and I like the idea of living in a different like borough of London for a month at a time just to see what the vibes are before making any kind of long-term long -term decisions. I feel like you're always saying this. I like you're always saying basically a variant of, hmm. I like the idea of <laughs> maximal optionality and not having to commit. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Explore versus exploit. I think you know, given that I've never lived in London, I'm in the explore phase right now, and it is just that there is something exciting about like moving from from place to place. Um, I th I think once we have, I think if we have like an office that is like in a in a central location. That yeah. takes the boxes of the stability of camera gear and stuff and not having to lug it around everywhere. Yeah. But otherwise, like, you know, given that we can, it doesn't make sense to, well, I think it just makes more sense to experience more of London in a shorter space of time than less of it for the sake of stability. Okay. My prediction is you'll live in Islington for six weeks. You'll move to another place. You'll conclude that actually <laughs> moving around every six weeks is super annoying. I've, I've seen enough of London to understand like what the vibes are. I don't yeah. need to literally live in every borough to know what it's like. I'm not saying I'm going to live in every borough. I'm saying I want to live in at least a few boroughs. It's like trying out different specialties as a doctor. You know, you, you want to just pick one and go for it. I reckon all right, I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to place my bet now that you're going to settle in the second place. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fair play. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, we do actually have a topic for this week's episode, but before the we topic, do. I just want to, yeah. oh, I think, I, mean. I think we should address the, uh, the recent inconsistency we've, I looked at the not overthinking Twitter notifications recently. I think there were like two or three people. One, one person sent us a screenshot of like the Spotify description saying it's, uh, you know, the weekly podcast about blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah. And they highlighted weekly and they were like, hmm, <laughs> I don't think it's weekly anymore. Is it mate? <laughs> Another person said something about how we're consistently inconsistent yeah. and I'll be honest, I felt bad. I felt bad. I was like, oh shit, they're right, you know? Like we haven't been, yeah. What are your thoughts? Uh, yes, I agree. Although, I mean, I feel like we've, we've, we've discussed this issue of consistency in the past and we concluded at the time that for us, the podcast is not a primary priority in our lives. It's like a nice thing that we do on the side. Yeah. And to force consistency means that, you know, for example, a couple of weekends ago, we were on a group holiday, we recorded a podcast together. And then given that my team is the one doing the editing and they're all, they're all on vacation, like I'm not going to get people to come on vacation just to edit the podcast. It's not that a, yeah, that's a priority. Fair. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's that sort of stuff. And I think, 
certainly for me, and I hope this is the case for you as well. Sometimes real life just does get in the way. And I think as much as I love to go on about consistency, I think kind of the whole consistency at all costs is moving towards the whole toxic productivity culture that uh, people love to people love to hate on. Like, who cares if the podcast or the newsletter or the YouTube channel misses a week or two here and there, like if people's yeah. lives get in the way. Um, you know, it's yeah. not like people are paying paying for a service that they are then, you know, ob obligated to to receive that that kind of vibe. Yeah, sure. So I'm not I'm not advocating for consistency at all costs. Mm. But for example, if we look at the past two months or something, we've been like quite consistently inconsistent over the past two months. And I think like I think the podcast was actually better and more fun and more good when we were doing it consistently. I think like, you know, for example, we haven't uh, the last episode we did, I mean, I guess we did like a group one a week and a half ago. And then prior to, yeah, it's been like, I don't know, two weeks since we did like one of these or something. I think you kind of fall out of the habit. You kind of, you know, the muscle weakens and, and so on. Mm -hmm. And so like, yes, in, in, in theory, you know, there's nothing wrong with missing weeks and things like that. But I do think it like does lose some of its magic, um, at, le at least for me if it's like really smattered all over the place and you kind of yeah. come back to us, oh, oh yeah, we're doing this thing, aren't we? Like, you know. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we do have this weekly calendar event that's recurring and that seem, seems to sort of be working. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, I think, it, I think it didn't work last week. I don't know, something happened last week, Wednesday. Yeah, I think, what was it? Well, like, well, do we have people over the following day? Or the, 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 There was something in real life that got in the way of the calendar invite and we didn't move the calendar invite because there was not another slot that we could move it into where yeah. both you and I were free on an evening. Yeah. Um, but this stuff happens. Uh, yeah. I think if you're, once you're in London, it should be, it should be much easier because we can just like have a setup at someone's place and just like, Oh yeah. We're, we're going to build out our own like little podcast studio in our, in our theoretical office slash in my Airbnb in yeah. the, for the first few weeks. So it should be easy enough to just rock up, grab a cheeky slice of pizza and, and do some not overthinking. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. What are we, um, what are we talking about today? So today we're talking about this um, personality measure called the Enneagram. Have you heard of this before? I have not. All right. I have. You told me about it briefly before we started the episode. But sure. uh, prior, prior to about, about half an hour. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. Um, okay, so about the Enneagram Institute. The Enneagram Institute, created in 1997 by the late Don Richard Riso and by Russ Hudson, was formed to further research and to further research and development of the Enneagram one of the most powerful and insightful tools for understanding ourselves and others. At its core, the Enneagram helps us to see ourselves at a deeper, more objective level and can be of invaluable assistance on our path to self-knowledge. The Enneagram Institute is currently engaged in presenting and sponsoring workshops and courses devoted to the many unique aspects of the Enneagram and their relationships to human nature. Our office is located in Stone Ridge, New York. Um, so... Basically, I'm going to tell you a little bit about how the system works. And then what we're going to do is I'm going to read out the nine different personality types that okay. this Enneagram thing purports to categorize people into. And what I'm hoping is that for you, Tamor, and for our dear listeners and viewers, in theory, if this works properly, one of the personality types should gel with you much more strongly than the others. Okay. And you'll then be able to feel that oh okay this is my enneagram personality type and then it has a lot of stuff about like it's kind of interesting to do with your friends because then let's say i'm a type one and my friends are type four you can look on the website and you can see this is how type ones and type fours interact usually 
Yeah. And I found that when I did it with Sheen, um, the sort of interplay between our two Enneagram personality types, it, it, it was as if it was like looking there, there was like a camera in our household and it was just describing all of the, all of our dynamics, like positively wow. and negatively. Okay. And so I thought that was pretty interesting um, when a friend did it with us last week. So I thought we'll give it a go and, and see how okay. it works. Okay. So before, before we do that, I have a general skepticism of these kinds of personality tests, sure. test type things. Please. You know, I think a lot of people are like really big on the Myers-Briggs one. Right. Yeah. And here's my, here's where my skepticism comes from. And I'd like you to address it. I don't see what these things do. Like, for example, you know, you'll read out these nine types. I'll be like, okay, I'm, I'm like pretty close to one of these types. I don't understand how that's useful information. Like, I already know whatever the things are. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to recognize that I'm that type. <laughs> and even like if, if, you know, if we find out I'm a certain type and you're a certain type, and then, the, and then the thing is like, oh, these two types interact in this way. Then it's like, okay, cool. I already knew how I interacted with you. <laughs> like what, can, what, you know, apart from being a, apart from describing what is already known, like how can, how can this thing tell you something you don't know? Okay, so this is a good question. Um, I agree. So on one level, personality tests are descriptive. And people argue that, well, they have little value because what's the point of describing a thing and like putting it into a box, like who actually cares? Um, I think there is value in the descriptive nature of it as well, because often if someone like strongly identifies with a personality type, like, oh my God, I'm an Enneagram type one or whatever, then the way it can seem is like, we, the, we, we only really know the contents of our own minds. We don't really know the contents of other people's minds. Yeah. And to find that, oh my God, this is a thing. The way that I am and the way that I think and my particular ways of thinking and my particular fears and desires and neuroses and the way I approach life, that fits neatly into this box that other people also fit into. I think there is a kind of nice reassurance about the fact that we are not special snowflakes. Um, and taking the description thing one step further, if you can read about that if you it, assuming you do identify with one of the one of the nine personality types or whatever um and you see the more elaborated descriptions of these are the things these people struggle with these are the things they find they're, they're really good at and you can see yourself doing all those that also adds to this like oh okay this is the sort of person that i am i agree broadly with 98 percent of what's being said i feel like i understand myself a little bit more now that someone else has put it into words these kind of desires and thoughts and feelings that i haven't quite been able to articulate myself so on one level there's the purely descriptive component on another level i think the reason one of the reasons why the enneagram in particular is interesting and by the way for the record what i am not saying is that this is scientifically validated bloody blah bloody blah, blah i just think it's kind of interesting um one of the inter other interesting things about it is that for each personality type, for each of the nine, there there are like nine different levels of development that you can be at and then work towards the higher levels of development. And so, for example, levels one to three are healthy, levels four to four, four to six are average, and levels seven oh, to nine. It's a hierarchy, so it's better to be a nine than a one. No, not quite. So there, there is on, there's like the types one to nine, but then within each type, there are levels one through nine. So there's like 81 different things here. Uh, I mean, there's nine different personality types and it's more like how how healthy are you in being a type one versus, okay, you know, whereas if you're if you're a level nine in any of them, that's like pathological, pathological destructiveness. If you're a level eight, that's obsession and compulsion. Uh, if you're level one, that's liberation. If you're level two, that's psychological capacity. Okay, level, so a, level, level three, a, level, a level nine is is not better than a level one, but a level like... 1.5 is better than a level 1.1 1 .1 or something. Okay. No, so there's, there's types and there's levels. 
<laughs> okay. So there's like, you know, a type one is no better than a type seven or a type nine. Okay. Okay. But a level one on any type is healthier than a level four at any type. Oh, okay. So a, a, a type one level four is better than a type nine level one. No, l level one is good. <laughs> oh, sorry. Lower is better. Man. The, lower the, level, <laughs> lower, yeah. the, the healthier you are. Bad. Yeah, that's my yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Okay, understood. So I I understand. Just just for the audience, it it should really be like a yeah. It, it really should be the other way around, or whatever. Yeah. And then one through nine. Yeah, it's like I'm a level nine human being. It's like should be good rather than bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um. And so for each, for each of these, apparent apparently one of the reasons why people find this this useful is that once you've identified your type, um, your basic personality type, at that point you can you can read the descriptions of the nine different levels and you can see okay, I'm at this I'm at level four right now. And here are the the strengths and weaknesses that I need to work on to get to level three, level two, and ultimately to level one, which is like yeah. the most healthy version of that personality type. Okay. So the idea is that your basic personality type does not change over time, but yeah. you can work through, you can level up through the levels to go from nine okay. through to one. Okay. Before, yeah, I guess before I do it, are you, are you having seen like these things, what what's your prediction about what I am? Oh, I don't, I, I, I've only read them like twice in the oh, last okay. few okay. weeks. So I, I actually don't know. Um, but... I, I think as I as I read them, I'll okay. Yeah, just make a make a prediction before I I then do the thing. I think that would just be fun. Okay. Um, hmm. Okay. I'll I'll make my 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 prediction as I read them silently okay. before reading them out loud. Okay. So this is Enneagram Type One, the Reformer, and so I'm I'm going to describe basically Type One in brief: basic fear, basic desire, and key motivations. Okay. All right. So Type One Reformer. And listeners slash viewers, see if you identify with any of these any of these types. Uh, ones are conscientious and ethical with a strong sense of right and wrong. They are teachers, crusaders, and advocates for change, always striving to improve things, but afraid of making a mistake. Well-organized, orderly, and fastidious, they try to maintain high standards, but can slip into being critical and perfectionistic. They typically have problems with resentment and impatience. At their best, wise, discerning, realistic, and noble, they can be morally heroic. Now, their basic fear is of being corrupt slash evil or defective. And their basic desire is to be good, to have integrity, and to be balanced. Um, and finally, their key motivations, they want to be right, to strive higher and improve everything, to be consistent with their ideals, to justify themselves, to be beyond criticism so as not to be condemned by anyone. Nah, not me. This no, ain't great. This ain't it. <laughs> Um, so a friend of mine, uh, really, really, really strongly resonated with type one. He was like, oh my God, this is hundred percent describes all of my motivations and behaviors in life. And I was baffled because I was like, yeah. yeah, okay, cool. Okay. Next we have Enneagram type two, which is the helper. Um, type two in brief twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm hearted. Uh, not you. <laughs> they are friendly, generous, and self-sacrificing, but can also be sentimental, flattering, and people pleasing. They are well-meaning and driven to be close to others, but can slip into doing things for others in order to be needed. They typically have problems with possessiveness and with acknowledging their own needs. At their best, they are unselfish and altruistic, and they have unconditional love for others. Their basic fear is of being unwanted or unworthy of being loved, and their basic desire is to feel loved. Their key motivations are want to be loved, to express their feelings for others, to be needed and appreciated, to get others to respond to them, to vindicate their claims about themselves. <laughs> Nah, keep going. All right, so that's Enneagram type two. Enneagram type three, the achiever. Threes are self-assured, attractive, and charming. <laughs> this is it. You can Nailed stop, you can stop yeah. there. <laughs> Ambitious, oh, competent, and energetic. They can also be status conscious and highly driven for advancement. 
They are diplomatic and poised, but can also be overly concerned with their image and what others think of them. They typically have problems with workaholism and competitiveness. At their best, they are self-accepting, authentic, and everything they seem to be, role models who inspire others. Their basic fear is of being worthless, and their basic desire is to feel valuable and worthwhile. Their key motivations are they want to be affirmed, to distinguish themselves from others, to have attention, to be admired, and to impress others. Uh, I don't think so. Keep going. Alrighty. Next, we have type four, the individualist. Fours are self-aware, sensitive, and reserved. They are emotionally honest, creative, and personal, but can also be moody and self-conscious. Withholding themselves from others due to feeling vulnerable and defective, they can also feel disdainful and exempt from ordinary ways of living. They typically have problems with melancholy, self-indulgence, and self-pity. At their best, they are inspired and highly creative. They are able to renew themselves and transform their experiences. Their basic fear is that they have no identity or personal significance. And their basic desire is to find themselves and their significance, brackets, to create an identity. Their key motivations. They want to express themselves and their individuality, to create and surround themselves with beauty, to maintain certain moods and feelings, to withdraw to protect their self-image, to take care of emotional needs before attending to anything else, uh, to attract a, quote, rescuer, apparently. Mm. I feel like with all of these, there's a, there are a couple of aspects which are like, yeah, but nothing super resonates so far. All right, let's keep going. Okay, so that was type four. Type five, we have the investigator. Fives are alert, insightful, and curious. They are able to concentrate and focus on developing complex ideas and skills, independent, innovative, and inventive. They can also become preoccupied with their thoughts and imaginary constructs. They become detached, yet high-strung and intense. They typically have problems with eccentricity, nihilism, and isolation. At their best, they are visionary pioneers, often ahead of their time, and able to see the world in an entirely new way. Basic fear, being useless, helpless, or incapable. And basic desire is to be capable and competent. Their key motivations is they want to possess knowledge, to understand the environment, to have everything figured out as a way of defending the self from threats from the environment. Okay. Yeah. You know, aspects. Aspects, but not fully sold on that. Yeah. I just, I know what my like fundamental fear is and that's being pitied. And we've talked about this. So I'm, yes. I'm really curious as to see like if any of, if any of them have that. All right. But yeah, let's keep going. Okay, type six out of nine. We have uh, the loyalist, the committed security-oriented type. Sixes are reliable, hardworking, responsible, and trustworthy. Excellent troubleshooters. They foresee problems and foster cooperation, but can also become defensive, evasive, and anxious, running on stress while complaining about it. They can be cautious and indecisive, but also reactive, defiant, and rebellious. They typically have problems with self-doubt and suspicion. At their best, they are internally stable and self-reliant, courageously championing themselves and others. The basic fear is of being without support and guidance, and the basic desire is to have security and support. Their key motivations are they want to have security, to feel supported by others, to have certitude and reassurance, to test the attitudes of others towards them, to fight against anxiety and insecurity. Nah. Nah, okay. Next, we have sevens, the enthusiast. Sevens are extroverted, optimistic, versatile, and spontaneous. Playful, high-spirited, and practical, they can also misapply their many talents, becoming overextended, scattered, and undisciplined. They constantly seek new and exciting experiences, but can become distracted and exhausted by staying on the go. They typically have problems with impatience and impulsiveness. At the best, they focus their talents on worthwhile goals, becoming appreciative, joyous, and satisfied. The basic fear is of being deprived and in pain. And their basic desire is to be satisfied and content to have their needs fulfilled. Their key motivations is they want to maintain their freedom and happiness, to avoid missing out on worthwhile experiences, to keep themselves excited and occupied, and to avoid pain. 
basically. I think that's this is probably the closest one so far, but um, yeah. All right, let's keep going. So there's two more. There's two more. We have eights and nines. Eight, the challenger. Eights are self-confident, strong, and assertive. Protective, resourceful, straight-talking, and decisive, but can also be egocentric and domineering. Eights feel they must control their environment, especially people, sometimes becoming confrontational and intimidating. Eights typically have problems with their tempers and with allowing themselves to be vulnerable. At their best, they are self-mastering. They use their strength to improve others' lives, becoming heroic, magnanimous, and inspiring. Their basic fear is of being harmed or controlled by others. And their basic desire is to protect themselves, uh, to be in control of their own life and destiny. Their key motivations are want, they want to be self-reliant, to prove their strength and resist weaknesses, um, and to be important in their world, to dominate the environment, and to stay in control of the situation. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. All right, last one. Last this one, better right. be it. We have Enneagram Type 9, the Peacemaker. Nines are accepting, trusting, and stable. They are usually creative, optimistic, and supportive, but can also be too willing to go along with others to keep the peace. They want everything to go smoothly and be without conflict. They can also tend to be complacent, simplifying problems and minimizing anything upsetting. They typically have problems with inertia and stubbornness. At their best, they are indomitable and all-embracing. They are able to bring people together and heal conflicts. Their basic fear is of loss and separation, and their basic desire is to have inner stability and peace of mind. Key motivations are they want to create harmony in their environment, to avoid conflicts and tension, to preserve things as they are, and to resist whatever would upset or disturb them. Yeah, I don't know. Not so much. Oh man, I'm kind of gutted that none of these were like really bang on, you know? Oh, Did you feel like yeah. any of them were? Yeah, I felt like three was pretty bang on for me. Okay. Um, it was sounded like achiever? you... I'm sorry? Three was the achiever. Three was the achiever one, yeah. About like the need to be admired and to be imp uh, to impress other people, basically. Yeah. Um, Do you think any of them were like bang on for me? Um, what, what one did I say was the closest? Was it seven? Yeah, you said seven was the closest. The busy, variety-seeking type, spontaneous, versatile, acquisitive, and scattered. Um, let's look at the, let's look at seven a little bit more and see if um, anything here. Out of all your friends who did it, did did basically everyone find one that was that's bang on? Like, I mean, am, I, no, am no. I just thinking of myself as too much of a special snowflake and being like, no, that's not me. <laughs> you don't know so, my story. <laughs> okay, yeah. so so far, in, me and three others that I know have done it. Three of us found one type that was bang on. And the fourth person was like, oh, not really sure. A, a little bit of three, a little bit of seven, you know, that okay. kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. Um, we've named this personality type seven, the enthusiast, because sevens are enthusiastic about almost everything that catches their attention. They approach life with curiosity, optimism, and a sense of adventure, like kids in a candy store who look at the world in wide-eyed, rapt anticipation of all the good things they're about to experience. They are bold and vivacious, pursuing what they want in life with a cheerful determination. They have a quality best described by the Yiddish word chutzpah, a kind of brash nerviness. What does brash mean? Like, sort of out there? I think so. How do I look up? Self-asserted in a rude, noisy, or overbearing way. Oh, okay, sure. Um, although sevens are in the thinking center, this is not immediately apparent because they tend to be extremely practical and engage in a multitude of projects at any given time. Their thinking is anticipatory. They foresee events and generate ideas on the fly, favoring activities that stimulate their minds which in turn generate more things to do and think about. Sevens are not necessarily intellectual or studious by any standard definition, although they're often intelligent and can be widely read and highly verbal. Their minds move rapidly from one idea to the next, making sevens gifted at brainstorming and synthesizing information. Sevens are exhilarated by the rush of ideas and by the pleasure of being spontaneous, preferring broad overviews and the excitement of the initial stages of the creative process to probing a single topic in depth. Does that sound like you or not really? I don't know. 
I don't think I'm like super spontaneous. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think five also had aspect. What was five again? Five was the investigator, where the basic fear was being useless, helpless, or incapable. That was, I would have guessed you would resonate with this one a bit more purely because of that, like, kind of basic fear of being useless slash being thought useless or helpless. Yeah, maybe that's close enough to the pity thing. Okay, so let's see. About so we've named this personality type five the investigator because more than any other type, fives want to find out why things are the way that they are. Yeah, I think I'm they want that. They want to understand how the world works, whether it's the cosmos, the microscopic world, the animal, vegetable, or mineral kingdoms, or the inner world of their imaginations. They're always searching, asking questions, and delving into things in depth. They do not accept received opinions and doctrines, feeling a strong need to test the truth of most assumptions for themselves. Um, John, a graphic artist, describes this approach to life. Being a five means always needing to learn to take in information about the world. A day without learning is like a day without sunshine. As a five, I want to have an understanding of life. I like having a theoretical explanation about why things happen the way they do. This understanding makes me feel in charge and in control. I most often learn from a distance as an observer and not a participant. Sometimes it seems that understanding life is as good as living it. It is, diffi it is a difficult journey to learn that life must be lived and not just studied. Gosh. Yeah, you know, there's aspects of that. So yeah, I spend a lot of time observing and contemplating, listening to the sounds of the wind or, or of a synthesizer or taking notes on the activities in an anthill in their backyard. As they immerse themselves in their observations, they begin to internalize their knowledge and gain a feeling of self-confidence. They can then go out and play a piece on the synthesizer or tell people what they know about ants. <laughs> they may also, perhaps on a podcast, they may also stumble across exciting new information or make new creative combinations. When they get verification of their observations and hypotheses or see that understand, uh, others understand their work, it is a confirmation of their competency and thus fulfills their basic desire of you know what you're talking about. Ooh, I think I think this is you. Knowledge, yeah. understanding and insight are thus highly valued by fives because their identity is built around having ideas and being someone who has something unusual and insightful to say. For this reason, fives are not interested in exploring what is already familiar and well-established. Rather, their attention is drawn to the unusual, the overlooked, the secret, the occult, the bizarre, the fantastic, the unthinkable. Investigating unknown territory, knowing something that others do not know, or creating something that no one has ever experienced, allows fives to have a niche for themselves that no one else occupies. They believe that developing this niche is the best way that they can gain independence and confidence. Yeah, I think I think that, that stuff is pretty accurate, yeah. Um, let's see. For better or for worse, the areas that fives explore do not depend on social validation. Indeed, if others agree with their ideas too readily, fives tend to fear that their ideas might not be might be too conventional. History is full of famous fives who overturned acceptable ways of accepted ways of understanding or doing things, like Darwin, Einstein, and Nietzsche. Many more fives, however, have become lost in the Byzantine complexities of their own thought processes, becoming merely eccentric and socially isolated. <laughs> socially isolated. <laughs> I think at one point you described your kind of kids thing and your like old people thing as feeling like you're you're the guy wearing the tinfoil hat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Trying to convince everyone that there's some sort of conspiracy against children in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People need yeah. to see the light. Yeah, man. Yeah, I think there are a lot of aspects of five resonate for sure. Yeah, that's much so uh, kind of going down a bit. Much of their time gets spent collecting and developing ideas and skills that they believe will make them feel confident and prepared. They want to retain everything they've learned and carried around in their heads. The problem is that while they're engrossed in this process, they are not interacting with others or even increasing many other practical and social skills. They devote more and more time to collecting and tending to their collections, less to anything related to their real needs. I don't know. I feel like I, yeah, I, 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 I live in the real world. Okay, okay. So let's. I think five is probably the closest. Let's go, let's go to the levels of five on the healthiness or whatever. Okay. Um, right. So let's start with level nine, the most unhealthy one. Okay. And we'll just go up. It's just like a few words for each one. 
Level 9. Seeking oblivion, they may commit suicide or have psychotic break with reality. Deranged, explosively self-destructive with schizophrenic overtones. Generally corresponds to the schizoid, avoidant, and schizotypal personality disorders. I don't think that's you. No. Uh, level 8. Get obsessed yet frightened by their threatening ideas. Become horrified, delirious, and prey to gross distortions and phobias. Level 7. Become reclusive and isolated from reality. Eccentric and nihilistic. Highly unstable and fearful of aggressions. They reject and repulse others and all social attachments. Then we go into level six, which is average. Uh, level six, begin to take an antagonistic stance towards anything which would interfere with their inner world and personal vision. Become provocative and abrasive with intentionally extreme and radical views. Cynical and argumentative. I don't think that's you. Level five, increasingly detached as they become involved with complicated ideas or imaginary worlds. Become preoccupied with their visions and interpretations rather than reality. Are fascinated by offbeat, esoteric subjects, even those involving dark and disturbing elements. Detached from the practical world, a disembodied mind although high-strung and intense. And then average level four, begin conceptualizing and fine-tuning everything before acting, working things out in their minds, model building, preparing, practicing, and gathering more resources, studious, acquiring technique, become specialized and often intellectual, often challenging accepted ways of doing things. I do build a lot of models. Yeah. Right, level three, attain skillful mastery of whatever interests them, excited by knowledge, often become expert in some field, innovative and inventive, producing extremely valuable original works, Highly independent, idiosyncratic, and whimsical. Level two, observe everything with extraordinary perceptiveness and insight. Most mentally alert, curious, searching intelligence. Nothing escapes their notice. Foresight and prediction. Able to concentrate, become engrossed in what has caught their attention. And finally, level, level one, at their best, become visionaries, broadly comprehending the world while penetrating it profoundly. Open-minded, take things in whole in their true context. Make pioneering discoveries and find entirely new ways of doing and perceiving things. Yeah, I think maybe like three is probably the closest. Yeah, I'd agree. I think there's a bit of two and a bit of four in that what I see of you as well. So Okay. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah. Um oh, addictions. Poor eating and sleeping habits due to minimizing needs, neglecting hygiene and nutrition, lack of physical activity, Look, psychotropic drugs and escape. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, psychotropic drugs for mental stimulation and escape, narcotics for anxiety. Okay, here we go. I've got some personal growth recommendations for you, assuming you're a five. All right, let's hear it. Learn to notice when your thinking and speculating takes you out of the immediacy of your experience. Your mental capacities can be an extraordinary gift, but, all, all, only, but only can also be a trap when you use them to retreat from contact with yourself and others. Stay connected with your physicality. Two, you tend to be extremely intense and so high-strung that you find it difficult to relax and unwind. Make an effort to learn to calm down in a healthy way, without drugs or alcohol, mind. Exercising or using biofeedback techniques will help channel some of your tremendous nervous energy. Meditation, jogging, yoga, and dancing are especially helpful for your type. Okay. Wait, is that it? Uh, no, there's three. Oh, three. You see many possibilities, but often do not know how to choose among them or judge which is more or less important. When you're caught in your fixation, a sense of perspective can be missing, and with it, the ability to make accurate assessments. At such time, it can be helpful to get the advice of someone whose judgment you trust while you're gaining perspective on your situation. Doing this can also help you trust someone else, a difficulty for your type. Four. Notice when you're getting intensely involved in projects that do not necessarily support your self-esteem, confidence, or life situation. It is possible to follow many different fascinating subjects, games, and pastimes, but they can become huge distractions from what you know you really need to do. Decisive action will bring more confidence than learning more facts or acquiring more unrelated skills. And finally, fives tend to find it difficult to trust people, to open up to them emotionally, or to make themselves accessible in various ways. Their awareness of potential problems in relationships may tend to create a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is important to remember that having conflicts with others is not unusual and that the healthy thing to do is work them out rather than reject attachments with 
with people by withdrawing into isolation. Having one or more intimate friends uh, whom you trust enough to have conflicts with will enrich your life greatly. Eh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Hugely... I don't think any of those particularly land with you. Yeah. But... Oh, well. All right. So what does this... You said you were a three. Let's say I'm a five. What does this say about how fives and threes um, interact? Um, I imagine there's nothing too profound there. Yeah. Let's see. So if if we were in a relationship... Yeah. Uh, well, I think this is just relationships generally. Um, five, five and three. This is a frequently seen combination, although one that might not be expected. Enneagram fives often give threes depth, new areas of expertise and credibility while sparking creativity. Threes give fives confidence, presentation skills, and awareness of the importance of communicating effectively with others. Both threes and fives are primarily focused on their work and on objective issues and concerns. Both types are preoccupied with competency and effectiveness, especially in their professional areas, and this is where they support each other in an outstanding way. Although both have deep feelings, both tend not to focus on them for the sake of getting on with their work. They tend to understand each other's need to balance closeness with their need for personal space. They do not crowd each other. Threes contribute social skills, <laughs> the ability to communicate and to sell ideas and projects, charm, energy, and a strong sense of practicality to the relationship. They can often see what's needed in the relationship or in the world and help to marshal the five's skills towards that goal. Fives bring depth of understanding, expertise in one or more areas, perseverance with details until the goal is accomplished, an objective dispassion, and a lack of attachment to outcomes. This can be a brilliant couple. Sharp, successful, deeply competent, and well-respected. If they are attractive, threes can be a trophy for fives who are usually less concerned with appearance. Fives, on the other hand, can also be a trophy for threes who are proud of the five expertise and who are glad to learn from them whenever they can. Both regard the other as a catch who enhances their own self-esteem and social standing. Their deep, often unspoken feelings for each other frequently deepen even more over time, gradually allowing this couple to discover not just passion, but quiet affection and pride in each other. Dude, this sounds great. Let's be a couple. All right. Potential trouble spots or issues. This couple's emphasis on work and competency can also lead them into conflicts and tensions with one another. A great deal of their self-esteem is also derived from their work and how it is regarded by others. Threes and fives can get into more or less open cont contentiousness over who was the original source of ideas and work. There can be elements of comparing one's work and contributions, claims about who is responsible for which ideas or breakthroughs, and other forms of competitiveness coming not only from threes, but from fives as well. Threes also tend to want to get on with the project or with whatever they feel needs to be done, while fives tend to take a long time fine-tuning and tinkering until they feel that they are adequately complete. Conflict can erupt over time over the use of time, resources, and priorities as the more practical-minded threes become increasingly impatient with the fives' lengthy preparations but lack of action. Fives may also begin to lose respect for the ethical standards of threes who feel they are ready to cut corners or exaggerate claims in order to accomplish goals or to stay ahead professionally. Um, both types also, also tend not to speak directly about their feelings or misgivings about the relationship until it's too late. Then they can both become sarcastic and hostile, icy and distant from one another. Fives can be too blunt and argumentative for threes who can retaliate with sarcastic zingers and put-downs while pretending not to be hostile or irritated. Both types can be arrogant and impatient with the other, and as a couple, they begin to find little to admire in the other. Threes can seem shallow and dishonest to fives, while fives can seem weird and repulsive to threes. Turning a negative situation around will depend on how much each needs the other, as well as the depth and breadth of, other, of the other's shared values, such as children and spiritual beliefs. If these are few, it will be difficult to salvage the relationship once their connection has been broken, since both types tend to be suspicious and cynical about people. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Sounds like this maybe sort of resonated a little bit on the five thing, but not like to the extent that it did with me, with Sheen, and with our other friend. Yeah, bit of a shame, oh, well. really. That's a shame. Oh well, what can you do? Hopefully, that was uh, for listeners. One of those really resonated. I say hopefully, like doesn't really matter either way. Like it's just not really a 
there's no evaluation to be attached to finding one that resonates versus not to be honest yeah yeah i mean there's, there's a lot of caveats on this on this website about how human nature is like complicated and stuff yeah um and like yeah i i I'm, I'm i'm quite interested in this whole like measurement of personality type stuff um it's kind of cool like I, I remember when i first did the myers-briggs thing um and it was on this like 16 personalities website that everyone used yeah, to yeah. use uh and the kind of descriptions of the weaknesses in particular of that type was like yeah. really interesting and i felt like oh wow this is kind of describing all of the issues that i have with people and like in life um and then they upsold me on some like 29 dollar pdf about how to uh, work on those. <laughs> <laughs> i love it so, uh, yeah Basically. i never read it but i i, I bought the 29 dollar pdf well the solutions are there if you want them <laughs> yeah quite. okay that was fun it's a shame that it wasn't more like uh, exciting or whatever, but more what? Sorry, more exciting. I think it would have been more fun if it was like, oh shit, that's me, you know, kind of thing. But yeah, hey ho. Oh well, what can you do? All right, should we read read a review while we're here? Um, let's see. Here we go. I think is is this one we? Um, oh, this is from five days ago, uh, from Aussie P thirty three, from the United States of America. I've long been a long I've been a long time listener to this podcast and have always appreciated the conversations between these two brothers. Prior to the summer, they were a consistent highlight of my week and I always tuned in. Recently, they have struggled putting out episodes on a regular basis, making the experience of waiting for the next episode frustrating. The irony is that they have both preached about how consistency has been such a superpower in their lives, yet do not apply this to the podcast. Worth a listen when the episodes come out. Thank you for the two-star review. Least consistent podcast I have ever listened to as the headline for that one. Um, so that is... Uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, we will take take the feedback on board and... Uh, <laughs> We'll, uh, we'll we'll do our best. I feel really bad about that kind of stuff, but whatever. We'll be more consistent. Mm. Yeah, I think we've been trying to try to be consistent rather than just being consistent. Yeah. All right, cool. Well, good to catch up. Thank you all for listening. And we may see you next week. Who knows? <laughs> no, we will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> we will definitely see you next week. Fingers crossed. See you later. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or DM us at nOverthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Next time. Next time. Next time.